Hello, this is Dan Jones with another quiet talk to share with you today. If you're a serious Bible student and have ever read a commentary on Luke, you've heard about what these scholars call the travel narrative. The travel narrative begins in Luke 9.51, which reads, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. The reason it's called the travel narrative, obviously, is because of this reference to Jesus moving toward Jerusalem. In this long section is found some of the material that is unique to Luke's gospel, such as the parables in that amazing chapter, chapter 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Actually, there are two lost sons in that third parable, but that's for another day. And this section also contains the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It's probably hard for us to understand the place that the city of Jerusalem held in the hearts of the faithful Israelites. Jerusalem was the city that David had chosen for his capital. And of course, it was the place where the great temple of Solomon was built. The idea of the temple was David's, but it was built by his son. In the minds of the Israelites, that magnificent structure was where God actually dwelt on earth. The book of Psalms talks a lot about Jerusalem. Listen to these opening verses of Psalm 48. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of the whole earth, Mount Zion, in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. So it's to the great city on Mount Zion that Jesus is going. But while he was very aware of the historical significance of Jerusalem, one thing was uppermost in his mind, the cross that awaited him there. Before the beginning of the travel narrative in verse 51 of chapter 9 is Luke's account of the transfiguration, that glorious time on the mountaintop there in the far north of Israel, when Jesus appeared in his rightful glory as the eternal Son of God. Appearing with him in that glory were two men, Moses and Elijah. We are told that Jesus talked with them and that the topic of their conversation was the departure that Jesus was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That pathway of that departure would be through a bloody Roman cross. That beautiful temple that we've talked about was the place where many animal sacrifices were made in accordance with the law of Moses. But as the writer to the Hebrews tells us, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All of those sacrifices that were offered in Jerusalem for all those centuries never atoned for anybody's sin. They were merely foreshadowings of the once for all sacrifice that would be made when Jesus offered up his own body on the cross. The journey that Luke describes will culminate in this cataclysmic event. 
the anticipation of this is possessing him. In Luke 12, Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. That baptism was the awful death on the cross. The word baptism means immersion. And at Calvary, Jesus would be immersed in shame, in terrible suffering. And finally, he would be immersed in all the sin of mankind. He was the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. He would take it away by taking it into himself. As Paul wrote, he who had never known the consciousness of sin was literally made to be sin for us so that we sinners through his death might become the righteousness of God. He became sin so we could become righteousness. This process of laying down his life for us was the baptism that Luke spoke of in, or that Jesus spoke of in Luke 12, 15. So by his death in Jerusalem, he became the door to eternal life. In chapter 13, Jesus says, Make every effort to enter through the narrow gate. Many, I tell you, will try to enter and won't be able to. So many church people today seem to view these awful events in such a casual way. They don't get the significance of these words of Jesus Christ uttered as he was moving toward that great city where he would shoulder a rough wooden cross and carry it up to Golgotha, the place of the skull. Strive, make every effort to enter by that narrow door. This is the most important pursuit of your life. It's more important than your job, your hobbies and interests. It's more important than saving for retirement. It's even more important than those people in your life that are the dearest to you. What does this mean, enter by the narrow door? As he himself says in that great talk about the good shepherd, Jesus is the door. He is the only way to eternal life. That's why it's a narrow door. I've met churchgoers who believe that all religions lead to God, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and whatever else is on offer out there. I would doubt that these folks really know much about these religions. But of course, what's called tolerance is all the rage nowadays. But dear friend, Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. That is very narrow. And being narrow is not cool. But Jesus didn't care about pleasing people. He cared about saving the lost. And there is only one way, and it is through him and his gracious sacrifice of himself on Calvary. If anything is clear in the teaching of Christ, it is that there will be many who sincerely believed that they were right with God, who will learn on the day of final judgment that they are not. 
at the close of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that many will come in that day and say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we preach sermons about you and even cast out demons in your name? And he will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. My friend, stop to ponder those sobering words. People who have preached about Jesus and even performed exorcisms in his name will be lost forever. There were certainly those that Jesus encountered who thought they were in, but they were not. The Pharisees come to mind. They thought they were the most righteous people anywhere, but Jesus reserved his harshest condemnation for these. And as he approached the city where he would die, he thought of these people, his kinsmen after the flesh, and he wept bitterly and said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Even today, his arms are stretched out to those who have refused him, to those whose lives are built around self. He reaches out to gather us to his heart. But are we willing to be gathered to him? While Jesus was crucified at Jerusalem, he suffered outside the gate of the city. The people of Jerusalem took their refuse outside the gate. Executions of criminals were carried out outside the gate of the holy city. In the last chapter of the letter to the Hebrews, it says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Jesus was taken outside the city to die. He was rejected by the people of Jerusalem, the city that had been built to be the earthly dwelling place of God. Let us go to him outside the gate. Let us take up our crosses as he commanded us. He invites us to live with him in the heavenly Jerusalem, a city that will stand forever. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you went to Jerusalem to die, to suffer. Thank you that you were buried and you rose again the third day, and that you're coming again someday, and you are preparing for us that new Jerusalem where we will dwell with you forever. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. My friends, I believe last time I asked you to pray for my son, David, who's in the hospital, he's had some serious heart issues. Thank you for praying for him. He is doing better, thank God. And hopefully he'll come home Friday. And so please continue to pray for David. 
And pray for us, pray for our church, Bread of Life Anglican Church. As always, you can reach me by email at father.danjones at outlook.com. God bless you.